Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey everybody, this episode brought to you in part thanks to our friends over at Mancan. Mancan. Mancan.com. A brewery in your refrigerator. That's right. If you like the recovery drink of the gods like I do, mmm, beer. You can go to your growler fill place, take in a man can, have it filled up, have it pressurized, have it dialed in, proper amount of CO2 always there. By the way, don't use the CO2 canisters that you get at the bike shop because that's not food grade stuff and that probably make you sick. I don't know. I'm just talking out my ass. But you can get it pressurized with the food grade CO2, bring it home, put it in your fridge, always have beer on tap. I know what you're thinking, but Pat, this is going to make me fat. No, it's good beer. So you're going to drink just enough of it, right? Besides, it'll motivate you to train more because you can go, God, if I do an extra five miles today, I can have a beer tomorrow. See? Or tonight. Be sure and go to the link on packfiller.com. Click on the link. Go buy yourself a man can. Let's get to the show, shall we? Man can. Hey everybody, whoa, did you hear that pop on that mic? That was a weird sound. That come through on your end? Wow. Welcome to the podcast that you should be listening to while riding. Actually, you should not be listening to while riding. God, I should almost start all over. Welcome to the podcast you should not be listening to while riding because that is just plain dangerous. There, that sounds better. The Pack Filler Podcast. I'm Pat Bulger. How are you guys? As if you could answer me. No, really, you should not be listening to your headphones while you're riding. If you're one of those people who does that, stop it. Because it's dangerous. (sighs) You guys, I did it. I did it. I cranked out my first 100 miler of the year last weekend. Really? on Father's Day. Yep, for Father's Day, all I asked for 
this year was seven hours on my bike, riding over 5,000 feet of climbing with over 50% on chatter-bumped gravel roads. Sounds like a great way to spend your Father's Day, doesn't it? It hurt like hell. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it really hurt like hell, but it was so, it was great. I enjoyed it. Well, actually, it was, I'm, uh, yeah, for those of you following me on Strava, it was only 99 miles according to Strava. My Garmin kept shitting the bed and shutting down trying to show me the route. Does anybody else have this problem with your Garmin? I'm riding, uh, you know, like a specific course, okay? I was out there doing a specific course. Um, I talked about this course last year around this time, the the Midnight Century, which is a tradition here in Spokane, unsupported ride. Everybody meets at a pub at midnight. You don't have a beer beforehand, but then you head out and you do this 100-mile route. Um, it's, it's just epic. It, like I said, 5,000 feet plus of climbing, a whole bump, a whole bunch of gravel, you know, chatter bumped gravel. And, um, so I put this course into my Garmin. The, I have an edge, I think it's a 510 and it kept freezing down, free, I'm freezing, freezing and shutting down on me. And, and so I had to reset it like four or five times. Each time it froze, I lost the prior data. So if I, you know, I'm, I'm, hour and a half into my ride and the computer shits itself and shuts down all of a sudden everything's gone so i you know needless to say i had to do this four times i got lost about three times because of it because you know i'd take a turn and it would not figure out what where it was going i had to stop and wait for the damn thing to restart each time so that might have slowed me down but i did cut off an hour off of my midnight century time yes i did it during the daylight but it felt good it felt good. And so when I got home, my phone I had in my back, in my jersey pocket, Strava said 99 miles. If I'd have known that, I'd probably have ridden around for another mile to get to the triple digits, but not, you know, I, I don't take my phone out during the ride very often unless something's, you know, going wrong or I need to call 911. And so I'd sit on my, you know, collapse on my back deck, look at my phone, and it says 99. It's like, oh shit but I guess that's not a bad thing I actually felt pretty good you guys might not have eaten enough though legs were a bit heavy towards the final miles I had to climb up from where the ride was I live up on a hill and so I had to climb up that and it was that was kind of a a forced effort coming home those final miles but it felt good getting closer getting closer been racing on Wednesday nights, as I've been telling you guys, off-road. I know for all the roadies, you're rolling your eyes at me. It's been fun, though. The course changes each week. Some friends of mine put on this weekly series. I come out and announce for them, and then they let me race. And uh, the, like I said, the course changes each week. The great Gino Lasecki, who's a legend in these parts here, uh, goes out there uh, the day of the race in his ancient Toyota pickup and drives these courses some sections you would not believe this this truck can get up but um double track single track good rocky climbs some really technical stuff that i am still not very good at i've got to work on that i read an article in one place that says when you're when you're cornering because those tight winding corners are what where i lose time because i'm a you know i'm a roadie background and i i don't have that skill set skill set yet read an article that says basically point your dick in the direction you want to turn and 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 put pressure on the outside bar i should ask the guest uh for today's show i should ask him a little bit about it but i was too embarrassed to pretend that i really didn't 
you know, I, so I just kept pretending like I really knew what I'm talking about. But it's been fun going out to these races. The people are all really upbeat. You pass somebody, they tell you good job. They pass you, they tell you they're, you're coming on your left or your right. There was beer involved afterwards, but the the state park we were at said we had to, they couldn't do that because we you know liquor licenses and stuff like that. So people bring out their own now, but they do have free um, a keg, believe it or not, of root beer that has been really popular. They've been pouring out some for everybody out there. Chip timed, great series. Um, so I've been loving it. The area road races are still the same people on the same courses, so that's why I haven't even bothered getting a USA Cycling license this year yet. Besides, the family has actually been coming out and participating on these races. Even my wife, you guys, she decided to get on the bike last week and race. I know. Six more signs to the apocalypse, but it was so cool having her out there. Dusted off her 26-inch pink trek. <laughs> Not to mention, it did, need some, it did need some TLC. Not to mention the seals on her brakes. Her hydraulic brakes had rotted out due to age. Or probably an activity. My wife and I ride the tandem more than we do uh, getting off in the dirt. But uh, I have to thank my local bike shop for getting new brakes all set up in such a short time for us. You know, 150 bucks for two new brand new brakes and the labor. I don't. I don't work on hydraulic brakes. That's where my expertise basically ends. I can crank everything. I can work on every part of a bike except when it comes to those brakes. I'm not going to bother with that. Hell, I didn't even know they run on mineral oil now. This is, which is kind of cool. It's better for the environment. You know, kind of ironic riding around with hydraulic fluid on your bicycle. Kind of counter, you know, contradicts itself. But it was so much fun seeing her out there, and she did it. And, and and the great thing about it was, is and I've said this many times on the show, is out there when she was able to race her mountain bike, she wasn't worried about how she was sitting seated overall. She wasn't worried about um, getting left behind, so to speak. You know, and and you can ride at your own pace and still be racing. It's you more against the course. Um, but as, as where I said, with road racing, you know, you get dropped, your day's pretty much over. So, um, I don't know. I, I, it, it's been a lot of fun, and, and the family's been having a good time. My kid's flying on it. He's, you know, he stopped playing soccer this year for the first time in about 15 years of his 17 years of life. And so we've been kind of staring at each other, figuring out what to do. And he's, he's enjoying his mountain bike, so that's been great. So we'll see where that goes, right? So I'm recording this on a Friday, June 24th. I'd like to welcome all my friends over in the UK to the politics of morons. Woke up this morning to discover uh, old people are running your country too. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not going to get into politics though. <laughs> welcome aboard the stupid train. Hey, I had a good time driving over to Seattle last week to witness Frank Strack from Velominati attempting an hour record, so to speak, on Eddie Merckx's birthday. Perhaps you watched or listened to the live stream we had set up for that one. Unfortunately, the audio I recorded was complete crap. And the weather didn't help much either. Frank was forced to pull the plug with about eight minutes remaining, which just was harsh. You know, here we are in Seattle. You know, rain is not just a 
a stereotype. It actually happens quite a bit over there. So he was sliding off the banking in a couple of turns. I remember right before he pulled the plug, um, he came out of turn two, and, and it, it looked like he was getting out of the saddle of the sprint, but I, I guess his rear wheel was actually sliding down the banking. So he had to pull it, which really was harsh. Speaking of harsh, all I can say is the hour attempt truly looks like hell on a bike. You would think it's an hour time trial, right? No, you know, no big deal. You can pace out an hour time trial. I don't know why, but this looks harder. It requires that full effort and, and a lot of concentration, really focusing on keeping your straight line. Um, you know, and I don't know. I, I haven't done one yet, so I, and I don't know if I'm ever going to. Well, maybe someday if I get a track bike. Or a new one, at least. My track bike, you guys should see it. It's an antique. I think it's it's old Campagnolo that I don't know if, if uh, the spacing is right for modern chains. It's that old. Besides, I have never lost on the track. I'm not bragging to you. I'm telling you the truth. I have raced on the track, and I have never lost. Of course, I haven't raced on a track for over 25 years, but... My record still stands, so I don't know. I, I don't know if I should get back on the track. I should just keep that bike hung up, never do it, never touch it again, so I can go to my death saying, I never lost. My record would stand. Speaking of longevity, Carl Decker is on the show today. If you don't know who Carl Decker is, you're going to find out. The guy's an upbeat, witty, fast, technically brilliant mother effer. The guy is a stud, and um, he's been doing it for a long time. List of accomplishments that I will get to in the intro of the actual interview. This one's another one of show producer Karsten Hagen's fine. Thanks to Karsten for making this one happen. I tell you, you throw a rock in Bend, Oregon, and you're going to hit a world-class athlete somewhere over there. Something in the water, something in the beer. Let's go. Let's talk to Carl Decker on the Pack Filler Podcast. Okay, you guys, today's guest truly be classified as I would say unclassifiable. All rounder just doesn't pretty much do him justice. He's racing what would appear to be pretty much every single discipline imaginable in the dirt and the road and has done so amazingly well. Some results including five time Downeyville All Mountain World Champion, two time Super D US Champion, uh, US Road Champion in 2005, and three time Single Speed US Champion. And he won the World Single Speed Championship in 2008. Let's welcome to the show, Carl Decker. How are you, man? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Well, be- you know, before I even get into some stuff, I was, I've been kind of researching you uh, lately for the interview and things like that. And um, I came across your recent. Uh, I guess I could call it uh, not only a, a blog post but um, and an article, but a, I call it almost like a sociological experiments on e-bikes over at Sea Otter. What was all, <laughs> what was that all about? Uh, I mean, it was kind of uh, that was for me more than for anybody else. I do a lot <laughs> of things for you know for Giant or my other sponsors, but that was kind of for me just to kind of uh, wrap my head around. Uh, e-bikes and that whole movement um it's kind of a a sore spot for a lot of uh serious cyclists and uh it it is for me too but i gained a lot of uh i guess some hard-fought perspective that day (laughs) and uh i don't know maybe it's not going to be as bad as we all fear 
Well, th- th- your whole concept was, and I loved how you actually referred to writing acoustic. You were <laughs> unplugged. There was, uh, you basically got in on a on a what we would, I guess, call a standard bike without the assistance. Did you? Was there? I saw the photo. Did you tape a, a cord to it or something like that? Yeah, I just had a I had a, a cord. I cut the cord off of like a salad shooter and stuck it in my fork <laughs> and just kind of I don't know, kind of a tongue in cheek yeah. thing. But uh, I don't know. In case somebody looked at my bike, I could refer to it as being electric. <laughs> I was kind of hiding from people so that I could get into the race without being discovered. Um, just because you know I wasn't trying to no. be in anybody's face. I was just trying to you know get in there and and do my thing and it was uh it was was an interesting day for sure well and and those bikes i mean for somebody who's never been on one i can i can honestly say i've never never even actually seen one up close but they produce a pretty substantial amount of watts correct oh yeah it's uh they're incredibly strong i mean those, those bikes uh, I mean, for reference, like, you know, I can probably only make 350 watts for an hour before I fail and have yeah. to stop for a day. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and those bikes, the battery is good for like 500 watt hours. So oh my God. that's 500 watts in addition to the 300 and something watts that I would make makes it for, you know, it's twice as powerful with a, a pretty small weight penalty, really. Yeah. Wow. So they're they're grossly powerful, <laughs> but they're it's not there it doesn't it's not just a it's not more is more uh, kind of I think you yeah. end up where you can use that power is limited and uh, the differences in speed are not as as big as one might think, which is kind of what I wanted to find out there in the first place. So we can we can in this essence maybe get along, even though I, I liked I think what you said. I you know uh, you'll you'll meet me at the top of the climb with your still cold from the the cooler beverages, and I'll I'll sip some and I'll try not right. to make fun of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's uh, I think personally, and I think it, it's it's a really easy decision that uh, trail non motorized trails are should always be off limits to anything with a motor and and e-bikes are part of that but if if things get weird and and they do get access i don't really see see it changing you know at least from what i've seen i don't see it changing the landscape so drastically and and make and ruining things for for the rest of us when if that does happen yeah because what's the difference between an e-bike and a a electric powered motorcycle you know or something like that? it doesn't make any noise it doesn't smell different it it basically, you know, you really have to be paying attention to know the difference, and uh, it's, you know, I, I, basically, it just makes kind of schmo people ride at the same pace that pro athletes do wow. uphills. Yeah, or in, or in is, the uh, is a special experience for those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but to, to me, it's just like, so what's the big deal? Like, it's just it's the same as a bicycle. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's you. I mean, here I'm sitting here going, God, I could maybe keep up with some of these guys for a lap or so like that. But no, no, yeah, I'll but stick would they to have me. you? Yeah, that's a good <laughs> that's point. That's the problem. It's a social problem. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, you just can't really fit in, and uh, I don't know. There, it's uh, there's a lot to be said for for powering your bike rides with uh you know sandwiches and soda pop there's like there's something to that that uh is i think that's what makes for lifelong cyclists is that uh 
kind of man and machine. It's, it's I mean, it's, a bicycle is probably the, the highest example of man and machine working together, I think, in the world. And the, to add a motor to it, I think, takes away more than adds probably for most people in the long run. Yeah, and don't get me started on, on the pro-road Peloton when it comes to man and machine blending it together perfectly these days. <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned lifelong cycling. Your, uh, your resume is extremely broad, man. You come from a cycling family starting extremely early. Your dad was a cyclist, correct? And, and you got into it yeah. pretty young. Yeah, my dad rode his, his Schwinn across the country when he was 20 years old or something like that. He's, uh, you know, always been into it, and our family has kind of just followed in his footsteps, I guess, to some degree. And, I'm, you know, growing up in Bend, Oregon, it's kind of, in, it's like falling off a log to turn into a cyclist <laughs> growing up around here. So and, that's and what, where I'm at. And what's this, this ride to the coast you apparently did as a, when you were young? Uh, well, we did a bit of touring. So, Uh-oh. like, when I was nine... We rode from Bend to the coast on in you know, and this is in 1984. So bikes, you know, there weren't cool little touring bikes with 24 speeds back then. I had a Schwinn Predator BMX bike with a three-speed <laughs> internal. My brother and I had Schwinn Predators, chrome BMX bikes, and they had, my dad took the rear wheels apart and put three-speed hubs in them so that we could do touring. <laughs> which sounds asinine now, but, you know, my brother and I just loved this stuff. So we were, it, it sounds a little, little like uh, little league dad type stuff, but, uh, I mean, we were begging to do this type of stuff. We, we rode to the coast and then we rode tandems, maybe the length of the state once we rode, we relayed across the country and bikes when I was 16, we, uh, took a Volkswagen van and just kind of the whole traverse of the U.S. was covered by somebody on bike, and but sometimes there'd be two people riding at once just because we'd leapfrog. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, and spent a month seeing the country, and everybody only rode as much as they wanted. Um, but, you know, and my brother and I both wanted to ride a lot. So I think maybe until recent, it may, that might stand as my biggest week ever. I did a 520-mile week when I was uh, 16. Oh, my God. And I was all by, my, all by myself. And all with a tailwind because I was heading east. Now and then, eventually, running came into the picture, uh, and and taking yeah. you into into through through high school and into college. So you did the bike kind of get put away during that time, and you were focused pretty heavily on on cross country running. And yeah, it did. Um, I you know I've started running in in high school, and I was I think just because by merit of me cycling so much I was already kind of turning into a pretty good kind of an oddity in terms of fitness maybe um so I you know saw the riding on the wall that I could pay for college with running and I actually I didn't ride bikes at all other than just commuting for four years when I went to University of Portland and ran there and that was a great opportunity to have college paid for but you know by the time I got done there I was so glad to uh, like I I got another a mountain bike I had to trade my mountain bike away for a car or something when I was in college, but uh, I, I got another mountain bike and started racing, and it was like instantly, you know, falling back in love with a long lost partner. It was pretty cool. And how quickly did it go from okay, I'm I'm not running anymore, I'm going to get back into it, to all of a sudden? How I mean, was it a quick transition into pro ranks? Uh, yeah. I mean, it took me a year or something like that, oh, maybe. God. Um, 
at you know at the time there was I mean, I came back into it. It's kind of funny because I was in college, and that was this great opportunity. Oh, I can pay for college with running. But realistically, you know, hindsight being what it is, like I kind of sidestepped the most lucrative period in mountain yeah. biking ever. Um, my four years in college, like there were guys that were with, that were experts that were making a living at mountain biking, getting paid. Um, so I came back into it as I was kind of falling by the wayside and I, I raced as a semi-pro briefly and then I, I turned pro officially in 98, but you know, that's all, uh, a couple letters on a piece of plastic from USA Cycling being pro <laughs> and, and making a living as a pro are two different things. So it was a while after that, before that all came together. Now with, and then be, to be able to take wins in multiple disciplines, both on and off road, you know, you a road road championship in 2005 and things like that um is there one form of all the different disciplines you've done that that attracts you more than others not really um i really like mountain biking i like mountain bikers and i like being in in the woods and and the personal challenges that are in that but the problem with mountain biking is that there's not that much and it's not very um dynamic form of racing i would say like cycle cross and road racing you're, you're ha- you have to measure your opponents better yeah. and time your attacks and the strongest man doesn't always win because you can use you know uh, brains over brawn i guess yeah. so that's pretty special i think you know i really really like racing cycle cross i hope to do more ra- cycle cross racing this year um but god you know all of it's just they're also complementary if if you can be good at one then and those skills translate to the next in some small way or, or maybe a big way. And I don't know. I, it's, it's really hard to pick a, a, win, a, a favorite for yeah. me because I, I really like them all. Uh, everything from enduro racing to gravel grinders. Gravel grinders are kind of big on my schedule this year. And uh, for me, that's you know, uh, super exciting. I, like some people see that as the, about the most boring thing ever, and I, I'm super excited about getting out and, like, Racing against new people on new tracks and yeah. figuring out how to win, uh, you know, new events that that people haven't figured out yet. Well, that's what I've I've kind of found my own personal journey, I guess we could call in cycling. I started in the '80s and then been moving up through it since, and I've found myself to the point where the races and the style of racing that I had done for so long, uh, it's it's. I've, okay, it's the same course, in some cases the same guys year after year, and it's hard to right. break free from that. And then you hear about some of these new styles. You talk about gravel grinding, and you know I've heard some of the grumblings about that, you know, gravel grinding and fondos kind of taking over and, and, and diminishing the sport in some areas. But you you got well, to try to find a way to keep it. Well, I mean, it's diminishing, but it's stealing from Peter to pay Paul maybe, but I think it's, the pie is getting bigger. There's just so many options for racing. And those, a gravel grinder today, you know, as being somebody that was racing mountain bikes in 1984, they're a lot like mountain bike races were in 1984. I mean, the bikes are better mountain bikes than what we were racing on mountain, <laughs> for mountain bike races back then. And, you know, people, I, I often say that you have to remind people that mountain bike trails didn't come along till after the mountain bike. So when we were racing early, you know, back in the early 80s, there weren't trails. You were racing on dirt roads, gravel roads, some pavement, and everybody was pumped about it. That was new, and nobody had expectations of making a living at it or anything. They were just pumped to, you know, get to the finish line and have a beer and 
and exchange tales about their flat tires and their, the troubles they had or the tribulations they overcame. So it's pretty, it's, it feels a lot like that. It's a lot of the same kind of laid-back atmosphere, and it's a pretty neat, you know, uh, I think mountain bikes, cross-country mountain biking has kind of been bastardized over the last 10 or 15 years, um, and the whole Olympic model of racing is uh, it's not to everybody's taste. So I, um, I think it's a good sign that other kinds of racing that are effectively mountain biking are, are doing so well. Yeah, and and we, I'm gonna bring touch base on that where where cross country racing is going, and, and we've definitely seen some changes. But you, how do you, how do you prepare for so many different types of racing? You're talking about doing different things throughout the entire year, um, and and yes, it is still getting on a bike and pedaling it, but it's obviously going to be different strengths, different um, areas of emphasis. How are you able to maintain a high competitive level in so many different genres? Um. I don't know. I think just, <laughs> I think just just uh, mixing it up in terms of your training is is not only what makes you good at doing a bunch of things, but it also makes you, it gives you the longevity to find your niche and to know how to do well at these races. Like if if you just focus on one thing, it's good in the short term, but eventually, you know, you run out of passion for it, or you run out of patience. Um, but I think, you know, running and skiing and doing all, like I take a big off season and that's a big part of it. Like I ski and I run and I get a little fatter and I, (laughs) and I drink more beer. And I think that's a, for me, that's a really important aspect of staying in the game as long as I have. Um, but I I think, uh, just, you know, mixing it up, riding gravel roads on your road bike and, you know, translates really perfectly into cross racing later in the year. Um, you know, mountain biking builds strength that, you know, roadies never really experience from road racing. Road racing is very different in, in what it requires from you. So all these things just work together. And if you do everything, you can kind you know, you can kind of do better. It's just a rising tide that relifts all ships, yeah. I think. Well, and, and the variety has got to be able to keep you going. You mentioned been doing it since 84. Um, you know, a lot of people Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd go crazy if all I was doing is racing, even if, if you took cyclocross, which I really do like. If all I did was race cyclocross and try to do my best and prepare for cyclocross, I'd have cracked years ago. Um, just, the, you know, it's, that's a tough time of year to be fit. And the beauty of what I do is it doesn't matter when I get fit. I, it eventually happens, and then I have... I make some hay while the sun shines, and then I fake it the rest of the year. And every year ends up being an awesome one, you know. <laughs> I don't put all my eggs into one particular basket, so I'm, I'm excited to come back to the nest and find that things have hatched over and over again. <laughs> so, now, being a pretty darn lengthy career, um, it sounds like you've been pretty lucky, except for um, one incident in 2000. You sustained a pretty bad injury on that. Uh, can you tell us what happened yeah. there? Well, I don't crash very often. Um, that's one of I'm afraid of crashing. Kind of <laughs> terrified of it, really. I don't I don't crash too often, but I had a big crash in 2000. I broke my back pretty seriously, and that was like a moment kind of. I don't know. It was kind of a watershed moment. It could have been. Um, I yeah. I shattered. I was I was doing some mountain biking and I was testing 
rims for a friend that worked at Shimano actually, and we did some did some runs, and I was tired, and I was like, I'm going home, and they're like, oh, do one more run, and I did one more run, and I somehow got pitched over the bars in some place where there's nothing to pitch you over the bars. I'm not sure what happened. Caught a pedal or something went up in my the crown of my fork, and I went over the bars at a low spot in the trail. And I, it was basically like, for all intents and purposes, it was like diving off the second-story roof of a house into the lawn. Oh, God. And uh, it just blew up my back. So, it, yeah, they took a bunch of bone from my hip, and from a cadaver, and they put me all back together. You know, I was in the hospital for nine days, and it t- I had to move back in with my parents and stuff. It was a pretty shitty, oh, shitty deal. Um, and, you know, the doctor said I wouldn't race bikes again. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I ever believed him. And I certainly probably should have, because it took a long time to get back where I was. But, um, yeah, you know, I think I could have been happy not racing bikes, but that was... It was always my intent to get back, and uh, after a couple of years, I signed with Giant. I made the world team as an elite for for down for mountain bike cross country, and Giant picked me up the next year. So I went from wow. yeah, delivering pizzas and riding Mrazics and wearing a Deschutes Brewery jersey to riding for yeah, one of the better run programs yeah. in the country, and well, in the world actually. Yeah, I'm still delivering pizza. I guess I was still <laughs> delivering pizza for a while, but eventually <laughs> I proved my worth. <laughs> so, so okay. So it's you know coming back from that and dealing with that, and then okay. So as we had talked about earlier, we do see some changes happening in the sport. You know, we've seen from these these uh, like you said perfectly about you know the, there weren't any trails, there weren't any things like that, and um, we can't necessarily talk about. Um, the growth of, of mountain bike racing without um, some sort of talk about um, USA Cycling and some of the other governing organizations. Do you have any thoughts or opinion on on how that's gone, how that process has worked, and, and the highs and the lows on that? Well, I think, you know, there's a bunch of fine people at USA Cycling, and, and uh, most of all of them, you know, that I've met have, have always had their heart in the right place, but I think a lot of it, you know, for me, uh, it's it's a UCI thing that's okay. changed the the landscape more. Like, well, for, I think that the Olympic type of racing is just not that appealing to most people, and I think it can mostly be traced down to outside assistance. Like every race that is cool doesn't have outside assistance. Like enduro races these gravel grinders there's no pits you don't need three people for one person to go out and have a good bike race um and the whole model shift you know 12 years ago or whenever they got put and started putting pits in the cross-country races it just sucked the the authenticity out of of the experience for a lot of people i think and i think you know usa cycling is I don't know if they're to blame for that, but they're certainly in bed with the UCI and you know yeah. committed to that whole model. In- so mountain biking is is weird, you know, and in the in the U.S. It's, that type of racing just isn't working for people. And when you and, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you talked about that the bastardization of of cross country, and is that what you're referring to? Kind of this turning it into a shorter yeah. course, more um, even. I mean, even we're seeing jumps and things like that thrown into them. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, the Olympics in 08 in China were, a, like, that's a, a moment that it, it crystallized it for me. Like,
like I remember seeing that track on on TV, and my teammate Adam Craig was racing there, and the race was entirely contrived. Like every rock on the course was placed there by hand. Really? You know, and, and rock gardens that are placed by hand are not very fun to ride, and they're not generally that safe because you just have some labor trying to put the pointiest end of the rock up, and it doesn't really make any like uh it doesn't make sense from like a, a normal trail standpoint like tra- trails usually have rocks that cleave and flow in a certain way and nat- natural rock gardens have this flow and like handmade ones don't yeah um so i i find them dangerous and and just kind of like a, a disneyland version of what mountain biking should be okay. So I don't like that aspect. The whole having pits, you know, this outside assistance is one thing, um, and not having a level playing field for the entire race. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Disparity in, in what people have in terms of... Uh, of much worse when you have uh, pits but what pits really do and what really sucks is that it makes this track it turned into five kilometer tracks with a double sized pit which means that's two two and a half kilometer tracks which means you can only go uphill for a kilometer or a quarter before you need to turn around and come back down so you don't get to the top of the mountain anymore yeah Carl, I'm kind of losing your audio here, man. Are you, are you moving around or something like that? I'm trying to find. I'm sitting out on the porch. Oh, I'll go inside. I can. You can hear me better. Not in here. a problem. Yeah. Is that any better? Yes, it is. No, not a problem. Right. Yeah, no. It's yeah. We're all in a technological world here, but so. You're talking about the courses, and and you're not like it's kind of staying in uh, in that spectator friendly kind of a contained area. Yeah, you know, it's spectator-friendly, but it's not a spectator sport. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to these races to, you know, at least in the U.S., nobody's paying money to stand there and watch mountain bikers go by every 25 minutes. Yeah. It's uh, it's easy. It's, you know, the whole Red Bull TV thing is making it, you know, that's the, the light at the end of this tunnel is that you, we can actually watch World Cups now on, on our computers, and it's, it's fantastic coverage. But I watch these races, and I'm like, I'm glad I'm not doing that shit anymore. <laughs> like, those races do not look fun. The tracks are super short, and the races themselves are only an hour and a half long. Like, when I started racing World Cups, 
you know, 15 years ago, they were shooting for two hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. And then it would rain, and it might be a two-hour and 40-minute event. Yeah. Like, now they're racing an hour and 25 minutes. Like, cycle cross is an hour and five minutes. Like, it, there's there's very little difference between those two sports now. You have pits. You have short tracks. It's uh, It's not, you know... <laughs> It's not what mountain biking started out okay. as, and I think for most people, it's not what mountain biking is. Are we are we when stuck dad, with this? When, when we started racing mountain bikes, I was telling this story just a, a few nights ago over beers with somebody. When, we, when I started doing mountain bike races, my dad used to start mountain bike races with a space blanket and means to make a fire <laughs> in his bag in case he got lost or... <laughs> ran into trouble out on the racetrack and he wasn't alone like it was an adventure um <laughs> this this xco olympic style mountain bike racing is just it's it's uh it's it's been bastardized that's what i meant by that yeah are we stuck with it um I, yeah for the time i mean as long as it's an olympic event that's the federation you know yeah that's the way they're gonna pursue it because that's how they get paid, and that's how they stay effective as a federation. Um, it but ju- it just they, seems odd. That's it's not not servicing most of yeah. the, the populace that yeah. are paying for licenses. I don't think it seems odd that a fa- a flawed method of racing that attracts less spectators is the one we're going with. Yeah, well, and it's trended that way. You know, yeah. it, it's a it's been a slippery slope, yeah. like. Uh, when they first started having tech zones, it, it didn't t- t- change the cor- the profile of the course right away, but they've just it's just kind of gone that direction. Okay. And fortunately, you know, me and a lot of other people are going different directions. We, you know, I was racing in Carson City at the Epic Rides event this last weekend, which is they call it a backcountry race. It's one big loop. They did, did three of them this year, and it's a big series. Like it's a hundred thousand dollar cash prize. Wow. Uh, for for the whole series, men and women, um, but it's I'd say without doubt the most important series in North America because nobody cares about this Olympic uh, like the XCO Pro XCT series anymore. Like the pre- there's no press, there's nobody watching. There's amazing talent there because the people that want to make the Olympics are getting paid by their sponsors to be there. But that's it. I mean, that's a really shallow, you know, you're, at a certain point you're having a race for for 15 people. And a lot of these races aren't under the USAC umbrella anymore. You've got races, uh, yeah. well, hell, Leadville, you've got Breck Epic, you've got other things like that where people are going out and doing them on their own and, and not bothering with that organization anymore. Yeah. Is is that just be, simply because they want the freedom for, to create a race that that fits outside the box, or is that because they don't want to deal with paying fifty refs or something like that? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't yeah. put on, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't yeah. seen all there is to see from the promoter side. But a lot of people got a, kind of soured on USA Cycling a couple years back when USA Cycling was threatening to not allow pro racers yeah. to do non-federation sanctioned races type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's a rule that's still on the books with the UCI and, and USA Cycling said, hey, we're going to enforce this. And everybody, I mean, I, 
I was one of the first people to say, like, well, I'm going to not have a USA Cycling license this wow. year then if you're going to push me out of it, you know. So that then promoters saw that and were like, you know, screw those guys, which, you know, USA Cycling might have been just following the mandate of the UCI. Um, I, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> it's it, really it, yeah, complicated absolutely. for just riding your bike in the woods. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how political it is. Like a couple people are going to make a pretty slim living by going to the Olympics. And then the rest of us just want to pay somebody 35 bucks to have a good time. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's a lot of backbiting and a lot of politics for, for that. So with that in mind, where do, where do you set your career? Where, where, where are you going for? What are your goals and objectives at this point? Uh, you know, I turned 41 this month, and I, my, you know, my objectives include things like not traveling to Europe <laughs> and sitting in tiny, tiny hotel rooms doing my laundry in the sink <laughs> which i've done you know i did a while ago and enough that i don't need to do that anymore um i'm really just happy like you know the the thing the series that i'm the most pumped about is to do this uh triple crown uh the, the sierra buttes trail stewardships putting on three totally different races in the same area and there's a an overall winner like an omnium yeah so it's this lost and found race. It's the Downeyville cross country, and it's grind duro, which is a cycle cross enduro format. Mm. So I'm, my goal is to win that. Uh, it's close to home. It's there's going to be there's great racers, uh, you know, talented people uh, doing cool things, and it's close enough that I can drive my old camper down there for it. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. But I'll be traveling for cross. I might go to China again for cross this year. Hoping not to, but I might. Um, yeah, just doing gravel grind stuff, and I'll be at nationals actually in a couple of weeks for mountain biking, okay. uh, cross country, short track, all that stuff. You, you talked about yeah, driving. Your, you talked about driving your camper down. Um, how did rally car driving come into this entire scope of things? Um, yeah, that's kind of what. I guess maybe this one of the things that I stand out for, if not the thing, to yeah. a lot of people within cycling um i you know i've always been to cars like it's kind of a weakness i think <laughs> more than anything um it's yeah shameful how much you know bandwidth i give to that um <laughs> but my dad is you know he's a petrol head uh and he my dad was a pursuit specialist with the state police in oregon so he used to chase after people in mustangs and camaros he himself driving a mustang or a camaro yeah. to perpetrators yeah i guess <laughs> lawbreakers uh and he was always into driving and he you know we did autocross stuff which is kind of just around cones and parking lots and then eventually it just kind of progressed from that i uh i always liked that european style of rally driving on closed courses against the clock and uh i got fortunate enough to make it kind of start happening about 10 years ago and made it to the, the X Games in 2010, yeah. X Games 16, yeah. for rally car racing. So, Well, how, do you, how does one get into that? Do you just buy a car and show up or something like that? I mean, is this... Uh... Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, yeah. The easiest way <laughs> to do it, the way everybody says to do it, and the way most people don't do it, is you find somebody 
that's got a car that's already built up and they've run out of money. Okay. Because everybody runs out of money because <laughs> it's hideously expensive. And then you buy the car and they suffer a, a crushing loss <laughs> financially to sell you this car for what's kind of a bad deal for you two. Yeah. <laughs> and then you race it and then you suffer, you know, you end up putting four times that money into it and you sell it for about what you paid for it. And you know, three years later and you've gotten rally out of your system. That's kind of the way it works. Basically there's maybe a couple dozen people in the world that are making money racing rally cars. Wow. And some of there's guys that are like top 10 in the world that are paying seven figures a year to stay in the, in the seat. <laughs> Okay. I'd I'd like to say, you know, I'd like to ridicule you for your addiction and things like that, but here I'm looking around my house and I have, you know, far too many bikes in my own possession. So I yeah, I would be a complete hypocrite to call somebody out on that. Yeah, I mean this is like I do it on the cheap, you yeah. know. Like it costs me about a thousand dollars an hour to run the car on stage. Wow. But you know, if I'm in the game, like I know where I kind of I sit in the hierarchy of American rally drivers, and I'm kind of towards the top. Like, there's really nobody that's gone faster for less money in a shabbier car than I have in the last several years. Um, so, if I just do one weekend a year, like I I'm still in the game, and I can still compare myself to the best guys in the country. And for me, that's you know, I, I'm kind of honored and proud to be at the level that I am doing that. So, uh, you know, I'm done spending more money than I should on rally car stuff. Yeah. I think <laughs> maybe. So as, as I get down to the tail end of this here, I got to say, um, every article, video interview piece of media I've seen you in, you seem to have a pretty, you know, not freakishly uh, positive perspective on things. And, um, is it, is there some sort of trick I should know about, or some special ingredient in the beer and bend, or something like that? To be so, wait, you're calling me not positive? No, you or are positive. positive. You are positive. Even even. Oh, I am positive. Okay. Yeah, I'll read your. I'll, <laughs> right. I'll read your I blog. Like, I'm not that positive. No, All right. no, 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 no. I'll read your blog, and even when you're kind of pissed off, it doesn't sound like you're like. You know, you you wrote an article on e-bikes for crying out loud. And most people would just take that and rip those guys new assholes, but um, you're just yeah. like, no, you know, I guess we got to live with them. That's so low, and, yeah, that's low hanging fruit when you're preaching to the choir, though, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, you know, I think doing. I've just been really fortunate to to like find myself doing what I always hoped I would do. You know, I was racing mountain bikes when I was ten years old and looking at people that were on posters and got free bikes and like traveled around did bike races and thought, man, that would be a dream come true to do that. I, I know I won't because like, what are the odds? Like <laughs> I'll end up working a desk job or being a cop like my dad, which is what I went to college for. You know, I could do any number of things, but I probably am not going to do that. It's like I'm, I was a realist even at the tender age of nine, but I've somehow ended up by luck or hard work or some combination thereof to be doing just what I've always wanted to as, as it's still kind of a dream come true. So being in the woods, riding your bike and, uh, eating a lot of food is, <laughs> is, uh, if, if not the fountain of youth, it's the closest thing I know. You, you said that if you hadn't moved to bend, you might not have been a cyclist. Is that, is there something about that place that makes it? Yeah. Well, you know, my, uh, we moved from the Oregon coast yeah. in 
in 82 or something like that. And, like, for for me to get to where I'm at living in Coos Bay, Oregon, the odds are, are almost impossible. Yeah. Uh, or if I live, you know, and that's the way it is for most of the world. Like, I'm just in a, a place that it just makes sense for all the kids to go out and do all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, when I was doing it as a kid, I was kind of an outlier, but now it's just ridiculous. Like, the talent, the, the breadth of of talent that's coming out of like the high schools and the just the BEA, the Bend Endurance Academy, they're having like a couple hundred kids paying to go on group rides God. and get coached. You know, it's it's just in another five or ten years, I'm I hope I'm done racing because there's everybody's <laughs> going to be so damn fast. There's just such a, a groundswell of talent that's coming out of Bend, and I think there's other communities like Bend that are pushing pushing that up. So it's it's really neat to see. Well, there's a lot more a uh, lot more Carl Deckers being printed in the world these days. <laughs> well, God, I hope so, man. Because where I am, it's you know we do have some kids going, but it's not as great as what it sounds like there. So that's uh, it's it's good to hear. There's there's hope on the horizon. <laughs> We're not well, open. and I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of just knowledge everywhere. You know, it's with the internet and stuff like everybody can have that community. Yeah. You can live in Lincoln, Nebraska and be a mountain biker. Um, and you know, the, the equipment, the, the barriers to entry are so much lower than when, when we were kids, you know, the safety and the, and just the progression of, of how to learn to jump or to, you know, nutrition, all the, every, facet is just made it so much easier than it used to be so it's uh it's just accelerating out of control it's it's kind of fascinating so when you're not driving when you're not uh racing yourself and doing all this other kind of stuff are you doing any any coaching or helping anybody out in that aspect yeah i coach uh a couple people yeah and uh you know i started doing that maybe three or four years ago and i've actually it's it's kind of a pain in the ass because it's always in my head, like, oh, I need to make that phone call, and I need to <laughs> talk to what's-his-name, and it's Sunday, and I, just, I always try to talk, whatever. Uh, but I actually f- kind of discovered that uh, that there was some some joy that ca- came from seeing other people, uh, you know, skip ahead a couple spots and, in, 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 like, yeah. working hard and, and not having to learn the hard way and uh, having good results a lot quicker just it's pretty neat to see that happen for people well and help them do it so i got a lot out of that i'm trying to decide if it's worth the the pain in my ass <laughs> or if it's a good yeah we'll, we'll see well, yeah but you know with, with you're still racing and, and things like that it's got to be hard to kind of juggle those all at the same time too yeah you know at the same time it's actually been good for my racing because like it makes me kind of a little more introspective about what i'm personally doing with my training because I don't have a coach, so, you know, I'm, I start, well, it makes me consider, well, what should this guy do? And I, yeah. I really, you know, use all my capacity to try to figure that out. And it's like, well, why am I telling this guy to do this when I'm doing this other shit that's just lazy or, I'm, you know, I'm not doing the right thing for myself? So I end up, you know, learning a few things about what I should do for, for me from, from telling other people what to do for money. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as I, so it's, been a, it's yeah. been a win-win. Yeah, exactly. Well, as I said at the beginning of the interview, we, we, you know, you've been super busy. We've been trying to get, make this thing happen. Um, where are you off to next? What's you got a short break here, or are you off to that Sierra yeah, series? Yeah, I'm 
I'm home until July 7, which, which is a pretty big break for me. Um, I'll be home for a couple weeks, and then uh, Nationals for Mountain Bike are yeah. down in Mammoth Lakes, California, and I got some giant kind of uh, dealer event stuff, kind of, you know, talking about uh, rally cars and bike races over free beer with giant bike shop owners. Boy, that, that sounds <laughs> uh, like it sucks. So I, got, I got some of those things to do uh, next month, too. So I'll be, I'll be busy, quite, gone quite a bit. But, uh, you know, all good things, going to pretty places and hanging out with good, good folks. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for rubbing that in, you know. <laughs> sounds like a pretty shitty way <laughs> well, to make a living, man. <laughs> I also was living out of a duffel bag a lot. Yeah. Which gets pretty frustrating. Yeah. Um, I, like, uh, you know, it's nice to be home and have more than one one choice of jeans <laughs> and to be able to find your, you know, stuff when you want it. <laughs> yeah. And not to be washing socks in, in a sink well, uh, somewhere in California. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, right on. I, and, you know, I, I, I really like your perspective. I was glad I got to talk to you. I, you know, here, so next time I think I'm going to bitch a little bit more, I'll, I'll pull back a little bit and realize that, you know, hey, Carl's been doing it longer, <laughs> so suck it up, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, bitching is, has its place, but yeah. uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, it's hard to hear when you're listening. You know, the the social <laughs> media thing. I've found that bitching isn't as well received as uh, as you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll have to try and incorporate that sometime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a little a little helpful hint. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, man. Well, thanks thanks Stay a lot on. for your time, man. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Uh, pleasure talking to you. So there you go. Is it just me, or do do pro cyclists just all have a specific air about them? I, I guess it's confidence. Probably you're not going to get to that level unless you're 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 confident in your abilities. But some of them have a cockiness to them. Some of them have a really uh, straightforward nature to them. And Carl's that second category. Straightforward guy. I could see him being extremely approachable. Maybe that's why Giant is taking him all over the world to to talk to bike shop dealers and i mean bike shop owners and stuff like that because i mean what a great guy to have representing your brand (sighs) there you go so you guys that wraps up another episode of the podcast please keep it up keep the love coming towards me subscribe to the show on itunes rank me on itunes judge me on itunes and uh, tell your friends about the show do it I dare you. I'd like to say uh, good luck to some of my friends, personal friends, uh, Mark Hodgson, the great Mark Hodgson, regular to this show, although we haven't had him on for a while. He's attempting an Ironman, which is a 70.3. I think that's what the distance is. So basically the half iron, but it's it's a full Ironman licensed thing. Anyway, he's doing it this weekend. I hope he has a great, great attempt. My other friend, Eric from nomads timing is attempting um i think his first triathlon so um i'm gonna go out there and cheer those guys on this weekend besides it's better downtown spokane washington this weekend's full of basketball players we have the world's largest three-on-three tournament which just basically means it's douche fest every all these guys who think you know if they take their shirt off then and sink a couple free throws they're they're on their way to the nba it's so I just stay the hell away from downtown Spokane during that during Hoop Fest. It's just it's a douche fest. So, and they and they're all arguing and fighting, you know. And hey, man, you're the bird. You that was a foul, motherfucker, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, God, they're just anyway. 
Go for a ride this weekend, you guys. I'm going to. We'll catch you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.